This morning is Palm Sunday, and uh, we celebrate as a church each year. Uh, globally, the church celebrates that day where Jesus came into Jerusalem triumphantly. The king that nobody expected. Uh, the king that came in a manner that nobody expected. He didn't march into Jerusalem on a stallion preparing for war, which would have been typical of, ta- of kings in the ancient world. He came in riding on a humble colt, a symbol of peace. Jesus Christ did not come into Jerusalem to bring judgment. He went into Jerusalem to bear our judgment, that he would be crucified outside the city on a Roman cross. And as we consider uh, that as he was going into the city and the children were waving the palms and the poor were waving the palms and they were putting their cloaks on the street and they were celebrating and they were saying, Hosanna in the highest... It was this glorious fulfillment of many prophecies, including Psalm 8, where it says that out of the mouth of babes would come perfected praise. And at one point, the Pharisees were really frustrated by this, and Luke's account records it as they say, tell the children to be quiet. And Jesus turns to the religious leaders and he says, have you not read that out of the mouth of babes will come perfected praise? And there's this great picture of messianic promise and fulfillment as Jesus is going into the city And of course, while the people are praising, Jesus is weeping because he knows that that, a very short few days uh, from this point, the same people that are yelling Hosanna to the King and praising him are going to be yelling crucify him. And this is all culminating in this massive crescendo of his whole purpose of coming as Christ our King, as God incarnate who wrapped himself in the dirt of his own creation, the beginning of this Passion Week, of of this Holy Week. And Jesus says something else to the religious leaders when they say, tell the children to be quiet. Jesus also says, you know, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Again, fulfilling messianic praise. This like glorious picture of the restoration that Jesus is bringing. Not just spiritual and ethereal, physical, practical. The restoration of the earth, the restoration of our bodies, the restoration of humanity. The world that we crave that seems to be evading us. The society we wish that we lived in, but we just can't seem to manifest ourselves, so we're sort of homeless utopians. That Christ the King will come, and He'll restore all things, so that even the rocks cry out. This picture of the restoration of all things. Emotional, physical, spiritual, material, natural. Just the, the restoration of the, the Creator God being the redeeming God. And how is He going to accomplish all of this? He's the King that nobody expected. So he's not coming in to establish his kingdom by shedding his enemy's blood. He's going to establish his own kingdom by shedding his own blood. He's not going to accrue power. He's going to lay down power. Jesus Christ, the King. Now this morning, I want to focus on this encounter that takes place just before the palm waving. It happens on the road in Mark's Gospel just before we get to Jerusalem. There is this beautiful picture of healing that takes place. Uh, And it's in Mark chapter 10, this encounter of healing on the way from uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem, just before they start waving these palms. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46, I'm going to read to verse 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, 
telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed Jesus on the way. This is God's word. You know when you're out running errands and you walk right by somebody that you know? We've all done it. You're in the grocery store. What are you doing here? I thought you lived at work. I didn't know you needed groceries and sustenance and food. What do we say? We all say the same thing. We say, oh, I didn't see you. This, they're right there, but you're like, well, I didn't see you because I'm dialed into what I'm up to. I'm dialed into my agenda. I got things to do, places to go, and I didn't see you. This is a passage not only about a man who can't see, but about a man who is not seen. In a culture that would prefer that people like this are not seen. And on the way to Jerusalem, right before all the palm waving begins, Jesus is a king who sees. And Jesus is the king who sees and saves. And this blind beggar is a picture of all of us. We are the ones in need. We are the poor. We are the ones needing to be seen by the loving and gracious King who sees. We are the ones needing to be healed and saved by the King who heals and saves. Verse 46 tells us that his name is Bartimaeus. And then it goes on to give us even more detail and say, well, actually, his father's name is Timaeus, and Bar-Timaeus means son of Timaeus. And why does it give us that detail? I'm just pointing this out because if you are here this morning and you are exploring Christian faith and you are considering the question, who is Jesus Christ and who is Jesus to me? Or perhaps you're watching online and, you're, and you've been in this journey with us at Redeemer, this spiritual journey of asking the question of who is Jesus, I just need to point out really quickly that if Jesus is just some sort of a legend, you don't need to name beggars and you don't need to name the beggars' daddy's names. If Jesus was just an ancient hipster that sort of hung out with the outcasts and he loved the poor and he was sort of an, sort of an ancient, you know, mercy and justice warrior who stood for the oppressed, if, if that's all Jesus was, you don't need to name the names of, of beggars' fathers. But, you know, if miracles like blind people receiving their sight are as unbelievable in that day as they are today, you need to do some fact-checking. And I need you to know that the New Testament is riddled with things like this because this is ancient fact-checking. This is a footnote. This is from a historical, literary, you know, critical point of view. These are the kinds of things that are in ancient literature to say, go check it out. So that the first readers of this could be like, Jesus Christ, the God that you're claiming that rose from the grave, do people rise from death? I'm not sure they do. Well, he healed a blind man named Bartimaeus. Yeah, his dad's name is Timaeus. You know, the blind guy on the road to Jericho is always asking for money. His dad, go ask him, go find him. Fact checking. This is what this is. Because Jesus Christ is not some mythology, some legend. But he is God incarnate, 33 AD in our human history, this holy week as we prepare to worship him and celebrate on Easter Sunday, that these these accounts happen, these things really happen. So Bartimaeus is on this road and he's begging because on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, a lot of prominent affluent people walked. 
this is not Jericho from the Old Testament. It's the city that's rebuilt. It's a couple kilometers away. And it's a place of great affluence. Archaeologists have unearthed Herod's uh, winter getaway. Uh, archaeologists have since found it where Herod would go. So this was like a prominent place. So Bartimaeus is begging because the people to and fro on this road have money and affluence. And so here you've got this juxtaposition of people with great affluence and, you know, cultural influence and this guy who has no affluence and no influence. The very, very visible and the invisible. And they converge on this road. And as we see this um, occurring, something really shocking and sobering happens. And if you've been a Christian for a while and you've been in church for a while, this is sobering. The people who are following Jesus... The people who are praising Jesus, the people who are about to throw their cloaks down and wave the palm branches and say, I'm with Jesus, are silencing the guy crying out for Jesus. He's crying out, and they're like, quiet. (laughs) These people are following Jesus, but they can't see the needy. They're very quick to silence the needy. And culturally, you know, uh, you were inconvenienced by the needy still true today oh are we inconvenienced by the needy Jesus sees the needy Jesus enters into the brokenness of the needy stay with me now you're like oh boy wow this is really political well this is spiritual because we're the needy and that spiritual plays into the political because that should actually reframe the way we as believers think about the needy because we're the poor We're the beggars. We're the ones needing to be seen by the God of great grace. And so, as the scriptures say, you and I know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is that though he was rich, he became poor. So that through our entering into our poverty, he would become rich. 2 Corinthians 8. Right? So the gospel reforms the way that we see the poor because the gospel of Jesus who went in Jerusalem and was crucified on the Roman cross, the, the gospel is a mirror showing us that we are the poor. And it's as Luther said, Martin Luther said very famously in the time of the Reformation, that we're beggars who found bread. And from the life-changing joy of finding that bread, we go and tell all the other beggars where the bread is. And this is what this text invites us to see, that Jesus who sees the poor, who comes to seek and to save the poor. I mean, today's sermon really is just a one-point sermon. And it's that the king who sees, saves. And eventually he sends the ones that he saves. And so we know that because this is true, we're recipients of this great grace. And if you've ever heard somebody who's callous towards the poor, and maybe you've done this, I've spoken this way, God forgive me, They say things like this. Look, don't give them a handout. They're just going to squander it. I mean, don't hand them money. They're just going to waste it. They're just going to squander it. Well, first of all, that's a one-dimensional way of understanding poverty. But that aside, um, think about the fact that we are spiritually poor and the conditions on which we receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Are you and I here on Sunday morning celebrating on the basis that Jesus says, I'll give you my grace, provided you don't squander it. Because who in this room is squandering it? A hundred percent of us are squandering it. Oh no, Paul, no, 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 I don't like this sermon at all because I'm very good, I'm quite obedient, I love God, I love His Word, I love His law, I wanted to guide my life, I'm very sanctified, I've been saved a long time, I'm really trying, I'm repentant. I get it, I believe you, I love you. And also, you're squandering it. 
Every Sunday when we come to confession, that's a prayer for those who squander grace. We're the ones who come every single Sunday and we're like, Lord, I, I really tried. I really tried this week to love and be loved and, and be loving. But oh God, would you forgive me because I, I failed to be loving. We are the recipients. We're all Bartimaeus. We're all in need of this radical grace. And I have really good news. The scripture says that his mercy is new every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. It's new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3. The good news of the gospel is that in the same way that Bartimaeus was not invisible to Jesus, you are not invisible to Jesus. Your need is not invisible to Jesus. Your sin and your need for his grace is not invisible to Jesus. Praise God. Jesus goes to the cross, goes into Jerusalem, they wave the palms, he weeps over the unfaithful, a picture of the faithful being faithful to the unfaithful, and he goes to the cross, and on the third day he rises from death, defeats death itself for the purpose of giving this scandalous grace to people who are, in the end, going to continually squander it. He's so good. And then Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus, and Bartimaeus says, Look at how he called in verse 47. I got to just look at this grace at work. Look at the saving grace at work in verse 47. Jesus, son of David. What is that? That is a messianic term. Jesus, son of David. Jesus, the one of the lineage of David. Jesus, the promised king who will forever be seated on the throne of David. This blind man sees better than most. Jesus, son of David. Look what he cries out. Look what he says he needs. Have mercy on me. Is there anything more offensive to the human ego than being told that we're not okay? Is there anything more offensive in our city? Is there, is there any greater sin in the city of Kitchener-Waterloo than to be told that the way that we think or feel, a desire that we may have, a proclivity, a, an impulse, is not okay? There's, there's no greater sin than being told you're not okay. And look at the words of the beggar. Have mercy. Oh, Jesus, I am not okay. Have mercy. I mean, look at the saving grace of God at work in Bartimaeus. It's amazing. We're all Bartimaeus. Look at this. This is why we're sitting here. You and I are sitting here because of God's saving work of grace in all of us. And so in verse, nine, verse 49, Jesus calls him. And look at how Jesus does it. Jesus, Jesus says to those who are following him, he says to the people who are ignoring the man, wishing he was invisible, Jesus says to them, go call him. It's amazing. What's the significance of this? Jesus doesn't, in many instances through the gospel, Jesus goes himself to the one in need. Here, he's sending his followers, who are totally unqualified, to go and call the one who's in need. They're indifferent to his need. They're inconvenienced. They're silencing the guy. And Jesus is like, go and call him. And now look at what they do at the end of verse 49. Look what they do. They say to him, take heart. Take courage. In the Greek, the word is therisiai. And therisiai means like, what, am, what is about to happen should give you great boldness. Therisiai, therisiai. Four times in the Gospels, Jesus uses that word. Therisiai, take courage, be bold. And and here, he puts those words in the mouth of the followers. 
You go and tell him. Oh man, it's amazing work of grace. And so, here you got these people. They don't see the poor, but Jesus the King seeks and saves the poor, so he sends them. And, as, and these followers, this crowd, they go from shutting them up to helping them up. Not only does Jesus open Bartimaeus' blind eyes, he opens his followers' blind eyes. It's a miracle. The self-absorbed can see. Oh, take courage, take courage. He calls you. Look at all of the layers of the work of grace happening here. Amazing. Verse 51, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? He's already declared it. He shouted it from the streets. I want mercy. Have mercy on me. And Jesus is always asking people what they want. And it's not because God is a cosmic genie who grants wishes. Jesus is always asking people what they want because he has this constant habit of juxtaposing all the things that we think we need and then giving us precisely exactly what it is that we need. Sometimes the things that we think we need match the thing that Jesus gives, and sometimes they don't match. And in this case, you see this beautiful picture of him crying out for mercy and saying to Jesus, I I want to receive my sight. I just need to point something out. If you were to go home and go, i got to fact-check this sermon, boy. Paul seemed to yell and spit a lot up there. i got to fact-check, make sure he wasn't trying to draw me in with his Italian volume. If you back up ten verses from here, Jesus is asking his disciples what they want. And Mark is putting these things together on purpose. Hey, let's look at what the disciples said they wanted. Let's look at what Bartimaeus says he wants. Let's look at what the disciples say they think they need. And let's look at what this blind beggar thinks he needs. Oh man, you don't think Mark is putting those things together? He's putting them together. It's amazing. Bartimaeus is like, give me mercy. You know what the disciples were asking for? Glory. Two completely different things. A provocative contrast. The disciples were convinced that the kingdom Jesus was bringing, it was a top-down political power. They never conceived that the kingdom that Jesus was bringing was an inside-out transformative power. The disciples were convinced that the way that Christ's kingdom would come was by having all of his followers in positions of power so that they could legislate the activity of the city. But they never conceived that the kingdom that Jesus was bringing was changing the desires of hearts, calling us to bend our knee to the kingship and the lordship of Christ, causing us to love the obedience of Christ, desiring to live our lives in obedience of Christ, so that regardless of what is legislated in this city, we already have our king. And now we seek the good of this city. It was not on their radar. They wanted glory. Bartimaeus wanted mercy, and Mark goes, huh, notice that. Just just marinate in that for a little bit. It's powerful and amazing. We see God's great saving grace at work because of the way that Bartimaeus responds to him. The English translations will say rabbi, and you'll notice I I threw in the original Greek word, which is not rabbi, it's rabuni, and I'll tell you why I did that. Because rabbi means teacher. Rabuni means my teacher. Rabbi could be translated master. Rabuni is my master. So it's just a little bit stronger. It's a little bit more provocative. And I think it's a little more insightful that when 
Bartimaeus is crying to Jesus, he's not just like, you're this you know, guy that I respect out there. It's not casual. It's not sort of religious and ritual. It's personal. And this is, a, this is a, an encouragement for you and I to call on Jesus Christ, to trust in Him in a deep and a personal way, to go to the King who sees, to go to the King who saves, to the, go to the King who empowers you and sends you in a deeply personal way. The text goes on to say that he's not, you know, not just a teacher. He's his teacher, his, his master. That's why the text ends by saying he followed him on the way. How does this whole thing end after he receives his sight? Discipleship. He follows Jesus on the way. Worship. May we, like this beggar, love him and bend our knee to him and follow him. Bartimaeus not only goes from darkness to light in a physical sense, which would have been a temporal gift. He goes from darkness to light in a spiritual sense. This is an eternal gift. He has encountered the light of life in John chapter 1. What the gospel is, is Jesus Christ's perfect life and death and resurrection for you. The, the removal of sin for you. That's what the gospel is for you. But what the gospel does in you, what the gospel does through you, is opens your eyes so you can see the need around you. Opens your eyes so that we don't silence the cries of the need around us. That's, what, that's not what the gospel is, but that is most certainly what the gospel does through us. And so, if you are here today, and you feel like nobody sees you, and you feel like your needs are invisible, you are invisible, your pain is invisible, Can I encourage you? Know this. That God has moved an innumerable amount of things in your life. So that at this moment in your history, you would be sitting here, right here, right now, hearing these words of gospel. That you are not invisible. That your life and your pain and your hurt is not invisible. Your need is not invisible. That God has orchestrated everything in your life so that at this moment you would be here to hear these words of gospel that Jesus Christ is the king who sees you he's the king who loves you he's the king who came to save you turn to him and trust in him church may we continually find rest in him this same Jesus who restored sight to the blind caused the deaf to hear caused the lame to walk This same Jesus who defeated death, he's going to make death work backwards. His resurrection means that all of us united to him by faith get one. So take heart and get up. He's calling you. Let's pray.